Hi, Pastor Chuck here, and I want to say thank you for listening with us today. Hope this message from God's Word encourages you, challenges you, inspires you, and reminds you of how much God loves you. This week I want to talk about uh, finding summer vacation, uh, finding our happy place. Now, you know, sometimes summer vacation is about that. You know, for, for some people, the uh, your happy place might be the beach or it might be the mountains. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're, today we're going to look at the, the last recorded miracle of Jesus uh, and the only miracle recorded after his resurrection. So I think it's significant from that standpoint. Well, let's go ahead and get, start with our scripture reading, and then we'll just jump right in after that. Today we're going to be reading John 21, verses 1 to 14. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. They were together, Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the nets with fishes. As soon then as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh the bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So I mentioned a happy place. Do you have one? Uh, I mentioned a couple of examples there. It could be anything. It could be the beach. Uh, for some people, that's it. I see posts all the time on Facebook, I'll have my happy place, and it's a picture of the ocean. Uh, it could be the mountains. Uh, if you're one of those people that prefer uh, the mountains to the, to the, to the sand, uh, it could be the lake or the river, you know, just getting away uh, to, to, the, to the lake. Um, it could be an amusement park. You know, if the uh, younger people among us, uh, that might be their happy place, just there riding rides and uh, scaring themselves to death. Uh, enjoying every minute of it. That's not for me anymore. But uh, uh, maybe it's just an activity. You know, maybe it's on the water. Or it's, uh, you know, camping in a tent. Maybe it's, uh, you know, laying there in the tent, looking up at the, uh, the sky. Uh, if you don't put the, the very top ring top on. Or maybe it's fishing, you know, out in the boat. Maybe it's cruising. Uh, you know, it could be anything. Maybe it's somewhere close by. Maybe it's a port you have. It's just kind of your happy place. You go there and you sit and, and you feel relaxed. You feel tension go away because you're in this spot that's special to you that, that relaxes you. You know, maybe it's a park bench at a nearby park. It could be anything. It could be anywhere. And we, we look at it and say it's our happy place. You know, a lot of my friends in Minnesota, uh, because there's so many lakes there, it seems like almost everybody has a cabin. That's what they refer to it as. We're going to go to the cabin this weekend. And everybody has this, this cabin. Sometimes it's not too far. Sometimes it's not a huge drive. They'll go every weekend sometimes during the summer. And, uh, but it's just, it's a getaway. It's a, it's a happy place, a place to kind of be put the, the rest of the week, the week aside. It kind of be at that, that restful place to enjoy and relax 
and spend time with family. It, we call it a happy place. That's what I want us to think about today is finding a happy place. Now, as we look at the, the passage we were looking at uh, here in John chapter 21, it says, after these things, so in all the things that John's already told us in, in his gospel, it says, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the, we could call it the Sea of Galilee. We hear referred to as that a lot of times. And on this likewise, and on this wise showed he himself. And it tells us who was in the boat. It says there was Simon Peter, there was Thomas, which uh, sometimes gets referred to as doubting Thomas because of his questioning there of Jesus, saying he couldn't believe until he actually saw Jesus with his own eyes and put his hands in the wounds. We know Jesus allowed him to do so, allowed him to, to overcome that doubt and that, that, that skepticism that he had, that, that Jesus could actually rise from the dead. Uh, but Thomas is there. Nathaniel, you may recall, when, when Nathaniel was uh, uh, brought to, to, to Jesus, uh, as early on, when he was first called as a disciple, person that was bringing him there in, in, in time, uh, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Talking about Jesus saying, could this really be the Messiah coming from Nazareth? Uh, so Nathaniel's there. Uh, the sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John. Uh, and then it says two other disciples, which didn't give us their names. I always find it interesting that he chose just to drop off right there. I guess those other two, but I don't know why John didn't name the other two, uh, but he didn't. Uh, so they're, they're all uh, you know, here fishing. Uh, what is that? One, two, three, five, seven of them, uh, if I've done the counting right. Um, seven of them go fishing. And it started with, with Peter. You know, Peter's, they've, they've already seen Jesus twice on two different occasions. He appears to them, and then he leaves. And so they, they know he's alive. They're still trying to get their head around what is it that Jesus did, and what is he doing, and what does it mean for them? And, uh, uh, you know, different times he's told them to go to Galilee and to wait for him. And so that may be what they're doing here. They may be in Galilee and they're kind of waiting for Jesus. And Simon Peter says, I go fishing. He says, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not just going to sit around here. I'm going to go do what I enjoy doing. Remember, Peter was a fisherman. Peter, James, and John were all uh, fishermen when Jesus called them. He, he, he found them in the fishing. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So Peter says, I'm, I'm going to go fishing. That's, that's what I like to do. That's, that's what I know to do. Uh, we're waiting on Jesus. I don't know what the next step is. I'm just going to do what I know to do. How many times have I mentioned that over the last several weeks? That when we don't know what God wants us to do, do what's right in front of us. Do what, what we're already doing. Per, per, persist at, at what we've, what the interest and the uh, desires he's given us. So Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. I know some preachers sometimes uh, you know, blast him for this, saying, you know, he's just he's giving up. He's going fishing. I, I don't know if that's the case or not. I think he's just he's saying, well, this is, this is what I do. And I, don't, I don't know what else to do right now. So I'm going to go fishing. That's what he, that's what he liked to do. And the other said, well, we're going to go with you. And so they go and they get this, this boat and uh, they, they fish all night and uh, they don't catch anything. Now I, I know a lot of fishermen, fishermen do not like going for long periods of time without catching fish. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's the worst thing in the world for them. And as you can imagine how frustrated they are and it gets says the morning's coming, so it's been a while. They've been out there all night uh, fishing, no luck at all. I mean, at least three of them were professional fishermen, and they're, they're not catching anything. That's got to be pretty frustrating. And then Jesus shows up, and they don't recognize him, maybe because he's so far from the shore, or maybe you just didn't want them to recognize him yet. And, uh, but he walks up to the shore, and he calls out to the boat that's, that's out on the water. And he says, children, have you any meat? And that word children there is, is one that just, it, it just means young People could be of any gender. Um, and you, so you kind of look at it as him saying, hey, young men. Uh, I think some translations even say, sirs, uh, do you, have you caught anything? Basically what he's asking, did you get anything? 
He's, they, they think he's someone that's coming up wanting to buy some of the fish they've caught. And I say, did you catch anything? And they answered him, no. Yeah, I'm not sure that the, the, the text really captures what they probably said there. What they really said probably was, no. <laughs> if you're a fisherman and, and you've been fishing all night, and somebody comes up and says, hey, how many you got? Uh, you don't want to hear that. I can just imagine the, the answer they gave you. And there's nothing more than just no. And I imagine that was a pretty short, uh, curt uh, response from the disciples there. No, we hadn't caught anything. Just, just leave us alone. Um, Jesus called out to him. And uh, Jesus then responds and he says, well, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you'll find some there. Now, you may remember this has happened before. Jesus has worked this exact same miracle to them before. And uh, it says they cast their four, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. Now, it's interesting that they didn't realize this was Jesus when he first told them where to fish. I, I assume that's probably because everybody probably walks up and tells the fishermen where, you know, oh, if you did it this way, you catch one. Anybody ever anybody attest to that? You go fishing, and you're not having a whole lot of luck, and everybody says, well, if you, you just need to use this, or you need to do that, or, or do this a little bit different. Everybody's got their own little idea of how to do it. I'm sure they were just kind of like, okay, it's because the stranger on the beach is telling us to uh, throw our nets on this side. Let's throw our nets on that side, entertain the guy. And then, boom, it says they catch it. They, they weren't even able to pull it in. There's so many fish in there. And then they realize, wow, this is Jesus. Now, notice a couple of things here before we move on from this verse. We're, we're going to look later at the, the later verses here a little bit more uh, in depth. But I want you to notice a couple of things in these verses. One, when we, when we pursue Jesus, when we make him our interest, when, we, when he's involved, we find direction for our life. You see, these fishermen, these people that knew how to fish, they still needed Jesus to bless the gifts and the skills that they already had. They needed him in their life to, to, to bless the things they were already good at. Not only is he going to bless them and give them skills and abilities they don't have yet. Peter's about to speak of the day of Pentecost to thousands of people. Peter's not a, a public speaker. He's a fisherman. He's about to learn new skills, but he also needs Jesus to help with the skills he already has. We need Jesus for everyday life. You know what? Jesus has a plan for your life. He's the one that gave you the gifts you have, and, and he can give us direction, like cast your net on the other side. He can say, here's how I want you to use that gift to lead to a fruitful life. Are we letting him lead us and guide us in every aspect of our life? I like what J. Vernon McGee pointed out about this. He said, have you noticed that the Lord uses what people have as the basis for his miracles? Isn't that interesting? Disciples are fishing, and they can't catch anything, but he gives them a harvest of fish. He gives them, he says, do it this way, and you'll, it'll work for you. You know, at the marriage of Cana, Jesus' first miracle is recorded. The, the water pots were empty, and he had them filled with water. He says, let's, let's just use what we got. We got these pots. We got some water. Fill those up. And he changes the water into wine. He asked Moses what's in his hand. Moses is like, it's a rod. And God performs a, a miracle with that rod. He says, cast it down. And it turns into a, to a serpent. And he says, pick it up. It turns back into a rod. He performs that miracle again in front of Pharaoh. God takes what we already have, and he uses it for something special. David, he shows up and to feed his brothers. And Goliath is there, and, and God's going to use him to take down Goliath. Does he say, okay, well, here, use this sword and shield? No. Saul tried that. He put that on him. It didn't work. Use what he already had. He had a sling. He had some. Uh, he was he was accustomed to using a sling and stone. God says, "Use that, and I'll be the one to make it into something." God uses what we already have, and it's interesting that that whatever's in your hand, whatever abilities you have, whatever interest you have right now, God can use that. So many people wish they were, were somewhere else or in some other circumstance, but if God can use you right where you are, 
And the truth is, if you can't use this right where we are, you probably can't use this anywhere else either. Notice also that when we pursue Jesus, miracles happen. <laughs> J. R. McGee put it this way. He said, if you ever notice that what God does, he does in abundance. I was thinking about that. We've talked about that so many times over the last couple of weeks in our, our series about watching God work. How the, the widow woman was just asking uh, the prophet to have God help her be able to pay off this debt. And God went over and above. He said, yeah, I'll do that. And I'll also give you enough to go live off of until you get things situated, until you get settled in to this new life that you're facing without your husband. Yeah. When uh, uh, Miriam was trying to, to save Moses, what did we see there? She just wanted to save his life. God says, oh, I can do much more than that. I'll save his life, and I'll hand him back to you and have you raise him as, as your own child for Pharaoh's daughter, getting him ready for this mission that I have him on. God always does things in abundance. Uh, the, the water pots were full of wine. The baskets that they had were left over. Had five hundred after they fed five thousand people. So they still had you know more left over. In this case, the the nets were filled with fish. And I mentioned that this wasn't the first time that that we've seen this miracle. I think that's probably one reason. As soon as it, it happened, they realized, wait a minute, I've seen this before. I know what's happening. I guess why John said it's the Lord. He realized we, we've done, we've been in the situation before. You know, and you notice that first time you may recall. Uh, when Jesus did the miracle, they, they brought him in, and uh, the nets break. This time, the, the nets don't break. I think it's interesting. I, I don't remember who it was I saw that was commentating and, and mentioning. That that I think what God was showing them the first time was that they were about to cast out nets. They were about to, to bring people into the kingdom. And so people were going to come and join them and be a part of them, but not all of them were going to be there for the right reason. Some of them, that's going to break, and some of them are going to run and disperse. That They aren't really part of the group that they were, they were gathering. But now... Resurrection's happened. The church is starting, and he's saying, now I want us to focus on those that are part of us, those who are the, the, the church, those who are the believers, those who are the ones who are putting their faith in Christ. And God does things in an amazing way. Things that are impossible for us aren't impossible any longer when we put our focus on Jesus and chase after him. I keep talking about chasing Jesus. That's because right here, that's what happens. Uh, verse 7 says, therefore, that is that's John, who's writing this, uh, this book. Um, Saith unto Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. Jesus is here. Jesus has arrived. Jesus is, 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 is with him. And to Peter, this fisherman who's out doing what he knows, doing what he probably enjoys, what he loves, uh, Jesus is more important. Jesus is more important than this huge catch of fish. There's going to be a story to tell one day for uh, you know, people to tell, especially fishermen like to tell stories. This great story is happening. This is going on. None of that matters anymore because Jesus is here. More than catching lots of fish, Peter says, I want to be with Jesus. Now, it says that he put his fisher's coat on him for he was naked. doesn't mean he was totally naked. Uh, after recalling in some of these uh, passages where they talk about being naked, it just means they were, they were stripped down to the, uh, the undergarments. Uh, the you know they, the outer robe was off and they had these the, the lighter robes that were underneath. Uh, a lot of times when men were working things like that, it's kind of like if a if, if a man's wearing a shirt with an undershirt and uh, he goes out to change the tire, he might take his shirt off and just you know work in the undershirt and then put his shirt back on. That's kind of what it's talking about there. But Peter gets his fisher's coat, uh, the the outer garment he was going to wear, and he jumps into the water. He wants to see Jesus. He doesn't want to wait. He doesn't want anything to slow him down. Our passion ought to be to draw near to Jesus. That's what I was talking about, pursuing Jesus, following after him. But how do we pursue Jesus? I mean, Peter jumps out of the boat and takes off to the shore. Jesus is right there in front of him. He, he knows this is, this is the fastest way to get to him. How do we draw near to Jesus? Well, James 4, 8 says, 
draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. It's that simple. Start pursuing him. Start chasing him. Start running to him over and over again. Do what Peter did. Move in the direction of his voice. They didn't know who this person was on the beach at first. All they heard was a voice. I wonder if they could even see him. Maybe it was just an outline of a figure or something. It was was getting towards morning, so it's probably some light, but they they couldn't really see him. They heard that voice. Peter said, when when John said, it's the Lord, Peter said, you're right. And he's in the water. He's taken off towards that voice. Move towards the voice. His word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit. That verse in James, it says, draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. He goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. You see, get, get our lives in line with what God wants to do. And let's, let's draw near to him by getting things out of our life that are pulling us away from him. Maybe it's activities we're involved in that we know we shouldn't be. Maybe it's relationships we have that are, that are pulling us away from God. Whatever it may be, he says, cleanse our hands. Let's get closer to him by getting things out of our lives that are, that are pulling us back. You know, we're also told in that passage to, to mourn and to weep to watch God work, watch God turn that mourning into, into laughter. In verse 10 of that same passage, it says to humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, it's God's work. We don't really have to do anything except draw near. That's our part. Move towards him. Make him the center of our attention. Make him our focus. That's what Peter's doing here. He's found a new happy place, and it's the presence of Jesus. The other disciples have too. They, they, they're, they're ready to go and see Jesus as well. You know, they, they didn't hurry quite as much as Jesus did. <coughs> they weren't quite as impatient as he was. But they heard, they, they head to the shore uh, to see Jesus. You see that in verse 8. The other disciples came in a little ship. They were not far from land, dragging the net with the fishes. They went ahead and finished up what, what Jesus had given them, the, the, the harvest of fish. They went and pulled that in with, with, some small, with a small boat and get it to the shore so they can uh, you know, do something with it. It says, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, fish laid thereon, and bread. I want you to notice something here. Jesus has come to see his disciples. He's come to, to fellowship with them. He's come to spend time with them. And he's cooked them a meal. You see, he didn't really need them to have caught anything. He didn't need them to, to bring this huge uh, load of fish to the shore. He's already got fish on the fire. He's already cooked something for them. But he wanted to, to, to work in their life anyway. And it's interesting in, in the next verse, uh, he says, bring some of the fish you've caught. He still wants to use the work they've done. He still wants them to bring some. I don't know what his intention is. Maybe they're going to cook some extra to have later. or Maybe they're going to give some away as people come up. I don't know what his intention is. But he says, bring some of that. Bring some of what you caught. He says, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 150 and three. For all, there were so many, yet it was not the net broken. God is working in their lives. He's doing something, and his intention is for them to come and spend time with him. Notice that next phrase Jesus says to them, come and die. I like that old song, the old hymn, come and dine, the master saith, come and dine. And uh, that's where that verse was taken from. And uh, he says, I want you to come and sit down, eat with me. Isn't that one of the things that we do? We want to get to know people. When you have a good friend, you want to go sit down and have a cup of coffee with them, right? You want to go, go to lunch. Hey, let's go catch dinner sometime. We, we enjoy sitting down and eating and fellowshipping. That's how we, we build relationships. And that's what Jesus was interested in here. He said, I want you to sit down and, and, and eat with me. Are we interested in knowing the Savior in that way? And being drawn to him so close that, that it's a relationship, it's communion, it's a talking, it's spending time together? That should be our happy place.
yeah, we can have happy places that we go to that are physical locations that, that bring us joy, that, that fill us with excitement and all those things. But our happy place is Jesus. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. And John points out this is the, fourth, the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples uh, after his resurrection. But I want us to notice something here about how our interaction with, with God and, and, and how in Jesus, what his relationship is with us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes this. He says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Aren't you glad of that? That God has chosen to use ordinary things. He's chosen to use things that people wouldn't think God would use. That means he's chosen to use us. He's chosen to use you. Uh, you may look at it and go, I'm not a real good choice for that guy. I, I've told God that several times about different things. God, I'm not the right person for that. And yet he uses us anyway. Why? To confound the things that are mighty. The, the, he says, I, I want to use the, the things people don't expect me to use. Verse 28 says, the base things of the world, the things that the world just kind of cast off, is nah, it's not very useful. He says, I want to use those. The things which are despised, the things the world says, I don't even want to be near that. He says, I'm going to take those things and do something beautiful with it. He says, that's what God has chosen. Yay, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. He said, things that don't even exist, God's going to bring them about to do something with them. That's, that's the beauty of what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to use us. No matter how worthy we feel, he wants to use us. It says that no should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. According as it is written, he that glorieth, and in glory in the Lord. See, God wants to use us right where we're at. Not once we all have it all together. Not once we have something to offer him. Before all of that, he wants to use us. Sometimes feel useless. God can work with that. You see, it's when we start to feel like we have a lot to offer God that he chooses to no longer use us. Remember King Saul? God had put him as, uh, in the place of king because Israel kept saying, we want a king, we want a king. He said, okay, I'll give you a king. And they gave him Saul. And then what happened? Saul uh, was a good king there for a little while. And all of a sudden, Saul started going, you know what? I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm special. I, I, I'm, I'm a great king. I, I, I fit the profile. I looked the part. I'm, I'm it. And God said, you know what? I can't use you anymore. He could use him before, but now he can't. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, just a, the second letter Paul writes to the same church here that he's mentioning in Corinthians. He said, he's, he's talking about uh, how he prayed to God to remove something from him. And he said that, he said, and he said to me, to my God's response to him, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, you know what? The things I don't like about my life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to glory in those because I know those are probably the things that God's going to use in a way I can't even imagine. The things that, that I'm praying God to remove, I'm going to sit back and see when he doesn't remove them, what does he do with it? Because he's doing something special. That's the God that we serve, the God that can use us. All we need to do is draw near to him. What does it say? The third time Jesus showed himself to disciples after he was risen. Jesus repeatedly going back and showing them who he is, what he's done. He wants that fellowship, that relationship. Communion is what it used to be called. We call communion now what we take of the Lord's Supper. But communion is really just fellowshipping with one another. It's, it's, it's dining with one another. It's, it's eating with one another. It's, it's talking with one another. Time together. That's what communion really, and that's what they're doing here. They're having dinner. This is what we strive for, to do even the everyday tasks with Jesus. I heard John Piper make a statement one time that really struck me as, 
as accurate. He says, when Christians meet, they talk to each other about Christian work and their Christian interests and their Christian acquaintances, the state of churches and the problems of theology, but rarely of their daily experience of God. You see, as Christians, our main thing ought to be about how are we experiencing God? How are we interacting with God? How is our communion with him? Instead, we talk about what are we doing and who do we know and who do we see and how's our society and how's the world and how are our churches today? What we really need to talk about is what's God doing in your life? What's God taught you recently? And you know what? If you're watching this, you say, you know what? I've got stories I could tell about what God's done recently. Then that means you're right where you need to be. That means you're, you're, you're drawing close to him and he's drawing close to you. And he's starting to, you're starting to see him more. John Owen, Owen was a, a Puritan. And uh, he was writing a, a letter one time during one of his illnesses. This is back in 1674. And he was writing to a close friend. He says this. He says, Christ is our best friend. And ere long will be our only friend. I pray God with all my heart that I may be weary of everything else but converse in communion with him. See, he said, I, I pray that I, I get tired of a lot of things, but I hope I never get tired of talking to Jesus, spending time with him, of getting to know him. He says, uh, you know, he, he was intentional about making sure that everything he did, he did it in the, the mode of, of interacting with God, of talking with God and spending time with Christ and, and fellowshipping with him. He's also quoted as this John Owen is saying, friendship is maintained and kept up by visits. And these, the more free and less ur- occasioned by urgent business. He says, if you really want to get to know somebody, you spend time with them, right? You really want to draw close to somebody and, and build a friendship and a relationship. It takes time. It takes, uh, you know, communion. It takes fellowship. It takes spending, being in each other's presence. In other words, in the midst of all that he was doing, this is John Owen, he made sure he made visits with God a priority. You know, this summer, as you go about, as you get a chance to go to your happy place, to your favorite places, whether it's the beach or the river or the lake, or uh, to get the chance to tour Italy or whatever it is you fancy. But in those times, and in the everyday times, find a happy place in the arms of Jesus. He's waiting to talk to you right now.